What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at Hogshaven.com, at Hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Hey, I am excited to be back. Missed the episode, man. I've been gone all week, uh, but I'm in a good mood, man. I'm recording this Thursday afternoon uh, in Dallas, Texas right now uh, on work travel, so I wasn't able to do a midweek show, but uh, for those who are looking out or just in tune and just love the, the content in, in the podcast, man, uh, I appreciate you all uh, tapping in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you are new. Uh, make sure you hit that rating and review if you have a chance, man. We definitely appreciate that. But your boys on work travel. Um, so you got to get in where you fit in. <laughs> so I am fresh in the office or fresh from the office. Um, look, I, I even went, well, I went, I went, when I got out the, the Uber to the hotel, went straight to the, uh, the little fridge area, got me a little IPA. I don't even drink beer, right? I don't even drink beer like that no more. I drink straight liquor, whiskey, tequila, something like that, bourbon. But I saw this, I saw this IPA staring at me, man. I said, Mo, the Flowers, Flowers football is on tonight. My high school, right? My alma mater, our first ever championship appearance. So I'm not going to miss that, right? I'm locked in online. I would love to be at the game. Um, shout out to them a-holes who scheduled, <laughs> who scheduled Flowers and Quince Orchard to play on Thursday, right? But I'm locked in nonetheless. Uh, we got the early work release. Uh, we finished our work early out here. So, you know, my weekend is started, you know, flight at noon tomorrow. So I don't have to wake up extra early. I don't have to wake up at 7 a.m., 8 a.m. I can wake up at I can wake up at like 9, right? I can afford to drink a little bit. I can afford to turn the game on, the, the, <laughs> the Bills game. Oh, by the way, I got my parlays going, you know. I can afford to get on and lock into the Bills game throughout the whole night. I ain't gotta go to I ain't gotta go to sleep early thinking I gotta wake up at four a.m. to clock into work. I don't gotta do none of that. We in a good mood, and what and the top everything off. <laughs> the Commanders in the playoff race. Washington in the playoff race, man. So like we got a lot to talk about. We got a few things to talk about right now. Not not a ton. Not a ton to talk about, but we got a few things to talk about, right? So everything, I'm in a good mood, man. I hope all y'all are in a good mood, um, or at least trying to be uh, in a good mood, man. At the end of the day, the weekend is almost here, um, and, and I hope everybody had a safe week. I uh, hope everybody, you know, got what they wanted accomplished, whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, man, football is here. We're previewing the Giants and the Commanders game, more so on the Commander side this week. Uh, I wasn't able to get any guests, and obviously it's, it's even hard to do that when you're on work travel. Um, so I didn't want people to fit into my tiny window of scheduling, but at the end of the day, let's talk a little bit about these commanders. Um, playoff perspective, right? This game is big for Washington. This game is big for Washington. This game is big for New York. Um, Aaron Schatz, I think he does data for football outsiders. Um, literally the creator of the DVOA, right? Um, the DVOA metric. So I'm gonna read this tweet verbatim and, uh, and go from there. So 
This is all related to Detroit, Seattle, the Giants, and Washington. And I'm going to start with this follow-up tweet and then go to the numbers. He had said, quote-unquote, essentially there are three teams for two wildcard spots in the NFC, with the first wildcard spot going to uh, Philly-Dallas division loser, right? So either Philly or Dallas are, are getting that, that wildcard spot, depending on who loses the division race. And then those percentages that I'm about to read off to you all, those percentages show the Washington Giants results don't matter much to Seattle's chances. So here's the numbers that he outputted, right? Both commander-giant matchups, if Washington wins both, Washington has a 96% chance to make the playoffs. Seattle has a 73% chance to make the playoffs. Giants 16, Detroit 10. If Giants win, if they win both, Giants 97, Seattle 75, Detroit 11, Washington 11. If Washington and New York split, Seattle 71, Giants 59, Washington 55, Detroit 12. So there you go. And based on his numbers, <laughs> It's in Washington's best interest to run the table. It's in Washington's best interest to run the table. Um, I think we've known that for some time now. Uh, and, and specifically, sometime I'm meaning like uh, at the beginning of their second three-game winning streak, after you lose to Minnesota and you rally to win three straight, you kind of realize who your common opponents are, right? Like, your opponents, after that that loss to the Vikings, were Philly, Houston, Atlanta. Not many people had Washington beating Philly, but you did beat Philly. So now you're in that position, just off of beating them, that you're still in this thing. You can afford to lose to Houston if you if you had to, but you didn't lose to Houston. You smoked Houston. Then you fought a tough one out with Atlanta, right? So there goes your three straight. You got Giants back-to-back. -back. You can't afford to really lose either one of these for your playoff implications. These are the two games you can't afford to lose right now. And then obviously you got your, your road game against San Fran, which is going to be tough as well. But really, it's all about every game that's in front of you for Washington, but it's also about not losing to New York. And you have a road game against the New York Giants. Um, and the injury report for that uh, is, is kind of... Uh, it kind of favors Washington from an actual numbers perspective, right? But um, I'll read them all for you. Uh, some of the key names for Washington side, Antonio Gibson, Dax Mill. Uh, well, I guess he's the punt returner, so go ahead, put him in there. Um, <laughs> Antonio Gibson, Dax Mill, Benjamin St. Juice, Trey Turner, Tyler Larson, Logan Thomas, Chase Young. Um, Turner, St. Juice, Mill, Gibson, all DMPs on Thursday. Um, by the time you hear this, I'm sure there will be an updated um, information on Fridays. No, actually, I'm, I, it'll probably be published tonight, so don't worry about it. Ignore everything I just said. Um, but at the end of the day, you'll probably have more information on those guys that I named on Friday. Tyler Larson, Logan Thomas, Chase Young, all limited on Thursday. Um, and again, we'll know more about them as well on Friday. I think one of the bigger things, I'm sorry, let me continue on to the Giants side, right? Um, you have 
Darius Slayton, Dory. Oh my lord, they got a thousand people on their name on their injury list. Um, I'm gonna just go through the people that was on the injury report. Never mind the fact that uh, you know what their status is, but you have some you have a Dory Jackson, Darius Slayton, um, Daniel Bellinger. Uh, you have Richie James. That's that's my guy. Um, he's an underrated player for these guys. Slot receiver uh, has a few key third down conversions, first down conversions overall. Um, I had the opportunity to scout him a few weeks ago. Uh, talented player, low key player. Uh, Fabian Moreau, Leonard Williams, uh, Evan Neal, and Tyree Phillips are some key guys on their roster. I mean, excuse me, on their injury report. Um, some of which you will be seeing on. Sunday for Washington. Um, as we go back to the Washington side and Chase Young, uh, well, there was one t- conversation I want to bring to the mic that I think is important for Chase Young. And, and I'm going to read off something from Jack Del Rio, right? Because Jack Del Rio spoke on it as well. And um, I think he said something that's insightful, but also uh, kind of is important for, for, for what's next with Chase Young. And quote-unquote, he says, on his reasonable expectations for Chase when he returns, play hard, do the best you can to help the team. The biggest thing is to not make it about him personally. Just come out, give great effort, fit into the rotation, and do your job. That is what our guys have been doing. And to allow us to play well, that is not going to change. I think for Del Rio and his messaging via the media to Chase Young, and I'm sure this is something he said to him. Two things, before I even get to that message, right? Um, if you all listen to the Trapper Dive podcast as well, you kind of understand that um, our guy, my guy, AJ, said that Chase was going to play against the Atlanta Falcons had he not get, gotten sick. So um, that may have been, again, even to this moment in which I'm recording, um, I don't know if he was slated to play uh, and then he got sick. But uh, if if there wasn't any conversation about him playing or not playing, uh, AJ was letting us know that he was slated to play had he not gotten sick. Uh, with that being said, I fully expect Chase Young. And I may be wrong, right? This is my opinion now. Let me be clear. I think that's the best way to say it. This is my opinion that I fully expect Chase to be back in MetLife. And I think one of the things that I wanted to say that really boggled my mind is how many people were scared of the turf. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much common conversation about how Chase Young should be held out because of the turf in MetLife. But at the end of the day, man, football is football. And for all of the people who has been on that field, right, because there's this, there's always reputations behind fields, right? There's always reputations about field conditions and for Washington FedEx field like that goes without saying in terms of its reputation its reputation is real there are people who dislike that field and dislike those the field conditions for some time but ultimately um when you look at a guy in Chase Young uh, I'm not worried about MetLife's turf turf conditions like none of that is real to me you got the New York Giants and New York Jets they're both playing eight games a year at that stadium and how many injuries do you think are directly related? They have eight games. So that's 16 games total because you're talking about two different teams. You have 16 games there at home. And how many injuries 
from their teams are directly related to field conditions or their opponents. Again, you probably do have some some field conditions that are are not ideal, right? But at the end of the day, there's not, that's not at the forefront of a player's head, especially a person who is a competitor, man. Um, at some point, you get to a you get to a point in your career where you're worried about you know protecting yourself on the field. But when you're young, you're just trying to hoop, suit up. And I don't think I don't think coaches are are ever going to sit here and look at the field and be like, damn, we're going to keep them out for another week. Um, we really need them back, but let's keep them out for another week because these fields are bad. No, Chase Young needs to be on the field. I expect Chase Young to be on the field this week if he's healthy, meaning if he's cleared of that illness. And I expect him to get some opportunities. And now to the point in which Jack Del Rio spoke on, not to make it about him personally, fit into the rotation and do your job. I don't think what he's saying in terms of Chase Young not making it about him personally, I don't think what he's saying is really a shot to Chase. But I do think Jack Del Rio, coming from a player perspective, and I think if you're an athlete listening to this, at one point was an athlete, or at to your current point in your life that you are a competitor, you want to come back if you miss some time and make an impact. You don't care about if you're playing a team sport you don't care about what other people on your team are supposed to do. You want to be the one to make a play and let people know I'm back. And I think what Jack Del Rio is saying in his response is not a shot at Chase Young, right? But I do think it's a message that you need to get on board. And if you get on board, and we talked about this with Mark Bullock, right? If you all listen to the last podcast or, or the last in uh, midweek podcast, we talked to Mark. Like, if you do your job, understand your assignment within the rotation, within the unit, everybody eats. Imagine a guy in Chase Young with the talent in which he has doing his job and his job only in the opportunities because he's athletically gifted. When he does his job, those, present, those opportunities that's going to be provided to him just because he's just that better athletically than the person that lined up against him. So I think what Jack Del Rio, what he's saying is very important. Do not make it about you personally. Give that effort, man, and do your job. And, and, and I'm really itching to see like how Chase Young responds and reacts to his first day back, his first game back. That's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Um, other, other issues or, or concerns on that side of the football, obviously, is Saquon Barkley, right? Um, obviously, we know he's a special player. This year, he is going off. He's back. And I will never forget this um, interview that he did on the pivot before the season started, how he told people, hey, y'all y'all cash, <laughs> y'all, ca- y'all tried to cash that check-in too early on, on Saquon, right? I'm back. And y'all going to find out that I'm back this year, like real soon. Saquon, 224 attempts. 11 games played. 11 games started. 11 games played, 11 games started out of a possible 11. He ain't missed no time. 992 yards on the season, seven touchdowns. 4.4 yards per carry. 35 receptions, 223. 
receiving yards. He's an explosive athlete, and he's shown that he's back right now. I think he's top five in the league in rushing. Um, I'm about to double check right now, but I believe it. He's number two. I'm sorry, number two in attempts. Uh, I think he is number four. Yeah, number four in rushing yards on the season. He's averaging 90 yards a game. And he ain't the only one on this team contributing to the run game. That's that boy Daniel Jones, <laughs> right? So obviously shutting down that run game is going to be important. Understanding that you have an ability to learn from your mistakes last week, underestimating the impact that Marcus Mariota can have on the game. Like the only good thing is that you know Daniel Jones and for Jack Del Rio and his defensive staff, they've known Daniel Jones for three years, 2020 through 2022. They're not going to allow Daniel Jones to take off like Marcus Mariota did. I think that's probably the good thing. I've been waiting on this moment to talk about. And it's like, I don't think, and another thing, because before I even get to the receivers, I don't think Daniel Jones is having like a superb season, right? And I'm not even talking about statistically. I think that uh, Dayball has insulated him well enough that he's able to kind of control Daniel Daniel Jones and his ability to like fully impact the game from a from a passing perspective. And I think that's a good thing for for New York. If they're able to find a way to establish some time of possession, right? And 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 convert on third downs is key situation somewhat similar except for we don't have the dynamic back that New York has. But if we can if if me meaning we meaning the New York Giants from a New York Giants perspective if we can uh, find a way to to maximize time of possession, get our run game going with Daniel Jones and Saquon, hit occasionally downfield if we need to, but more importantly, just move the sticks, hit the short to intermediate, I think we're in good shape. And that philosophy, I'm not saying it's the best offense because it's not, not the most efficient offense. They're a top 10 run, rush offense for a reason. And like I said, it's for the, the reasons that we stated. But I think Brian Dayball has done a really good job insulating Daniel Jones and just making sure that his opportunities to impact the game negatively are limited. Again, we're talking about somewhat in a similar situation than as uh, Taylor Heineke. But like I said, I don't think Daniel Jones is having a great season offensively from a pass game standpoint. He's not impacting the game uh, in that regard completely. Um, and I do think the the thing for him is more about how he uses his legs in this offense and how he contributes to the run game. And for Washington, like I said, again, um, that read option, that zone read keeper uh, that Mariota was really killing Washington in, they have a, they have a mulligan in this instance. Um, how do you approach this? Can't leave the you can't leave the quarterback uncovered. So whoever it is that is responsible for the quarterback is probably gonna have to commit to him. Commit meaning I know who my responsibility is. I'm going to trust my teammates to go ahead and rally at the running back if it does happen to be a handoff. But I ain't letting Daniel Jones go nowhere. If we keep Daniel Jones under 30 yards a carry, I mean excuse me, 30 yards a carry. If we keep Daniel Jones under 30 yards this game, it's a win. And that's kind of probably their mindset going into this game. It's a win. 
Marcus Johnson. That's my guy. Um, it's a name that a lot of people aren't familiar with, right? Like I mentioned with uh, um, James, um, Richie James, Marcus Johnson is a guy who I also had a um, had the, the the chance to scout this season, this season and last off season. So before he even got to New York, when he was on his way to San Francisco, great athlete. And I think, obviously, when you look at people's season statistics, I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter. Not even an argument, just a conversation, because he wasn't understanding the angle that I was coming from, right? And sometimes when you when you talk to people from a certain angle and you try to, you know, tell them from an evaluation standpoint what you see in a player, if they don't know the player, the only thing that they can rely on is stats. <laughs> and I say that to say, if you're listening to this and you go to Marcus Johnson's stats right now, his career stats, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna tell you nothing. But guess what? There's other reasons for which he's not able to make those impacts, whether it's opportunity in terms of um, being behind some players, whether it's injuries, which he has had several throughout his career. And that's mainly what's impacted his opportunities. He got cut in San Fran after he got concussed for no reason. His teammate laid him out in, in preseason, I mean, in training camp. And he missed some time, and, and I'm sure that affected his ability to stay on the field and, and impress coaches. But what do I mean? I'm saying all this to say what, right? Marcus Johnson, you're talking about a person who won't get that many opportunities because Daniel Jones is his quarterback, right? However, because another thing, Slayton, um, Darius Slayton is their deep ball guy. Daniel Jones trusts Darius Slayton because they have they have chemistry. They have an understanding. Marcus Johnson's the new guy. <clears throat> but Marcus Johnson, <laughs> he's a three-level threat. He has the athletic ability to challenge all coverages. He has the foot speed to dominate a particular matchup, i.e., let's see, Kendall Fuller. Benjamin St. Jude's may not be around, so you have an opportunity to challenge whoever it is on that other side as well. I don't think he's going to deserve some star coverage or, like, a bracket or anything like that, but I do think that that scouting report is going to tell Washington defenders stay over top of this man. That's the guy. Again, athletically uh, gifted. Uh, he has some good change of direction. His routes are, are crisp, right? Now, you do get concerned at the catch point. He doesn't use his frame all too well. So you may see a drop or two, right? Marcus Johnson, again, it may sound like I'm hyping this man up, but trust me, if you watch this tape, you understand that I'm not lying to you. It's more so about opportunities. It's more so about chemistry. It's more so about situation um, with Marcus. It's not about skill set or ability. He got it. Um, But, yeah, that's it for the, for the offensive side, man. Um, of 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 the Giants, uh, I do think that uh, ultimately Washington will be able to, as I named all those players in, in those situations for the Giants. I do think that Washington's defense uh, is legit, but I I don't think that this is going to be a game that they're getting gashed. Um, again, I think that the Falcons were one of the best rush teams in the NFL, um, and you're going to come across those sometimes from time to time. I.e., the the San Francisco 49ers coming up, you're going to run into that situation again. <laughs> But I think 
Atlanta does things really well. They understand what their goals are. And that's how you run into some buzz holes. Um, but that doesn't mean that Washington's rush defense is terrible. Somebody asked me on Sunday, like, was this defense exposed? You can't be exposed by a rush team that is effective running it against everybody. You're not a dominant rush off rush defense, right? But you're very good. You don't have the answers or the or the, the physical uh bodies to, to compete <laughs> uh on a down to down basis with the Atlanta Falcons. It's not a knock. It's more so about matchups. We talk about that all the time in every single season, specifically playoffs, right? We need to see the matchups. And that can tell you how far you think a team can make it. And that's just one of those instances, man. Washington doesn't just match. They just don't match up that well against the Atlanta Falcons uh, rush game. So with that being said, I, I don't think the Falcons are in the same. I mean, the Giants are in the same boat as, as, as Atlanta. Um, they don't have the horses up front in terms of offensive line. Washington's defensive line will be able to take advantage of that. The linebackers, Jamin Davis, who's, who's been uh, a, a great improvement on that second level for Washington, um, will be able to eat. Bobby McCain um, in his new role uh, will be available, and he'll be able to make some plays in the box as well and match up well with Saquon. Um, it's going to be more so about <laughs> trying, trying to tag that man in the phone booth. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It ain't going to be easy. Like the, the cuts that he makes in traffic is incredible. Um, but yeah, that's 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 gonna be interesting. Uh, but yeah, I don't think the defense is gonna be uh in that much trouble. Uh ultimately it comes down to the offensive side of the football, right? Taylor Heineke. Um and I think that Taylor Heineke, this is probably his most important game of twenty twenty two. Obviously, there was more uh high stakes games. The, the very easy one, Philadelphia Eagles. Undefeated team Monday night. How did your team bounce back from a game in Minnesota Vikings where you all had a very rough finish to the game? 10-point lead blew it in the fourth quarter. 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and blew it. They bounced back well. That entire offense... Uh, that defense played damn near, I mean, that, that entire team, excuse me, damn near played a perfect game for its four turnovers on the defensive side of the football. Um, but you can't ask for perfect games every single season or every single week, excuse me. Taylor Heineke isn't playing that great this year. He's doing some good, but he's doing a lot of bad, in my opinion. Um, his good is, is all about keeping the offensive float, trying to establish the time of possession right. Um he has some some moments in which he's playing with very good anticipation, right, and timing within the offense and understanding where to go with the football. He's giving Terry Heine, Terry McLaurin a chance in on all levels of the field, right? They're running the football well with him under center. <laughs> See him running out of options or running out of things to say about Taylor. But ultimately, my point is, um, this is a big game for, for Taylor because at some point Carson is going to be his backup. He's going to be activated. He's going to be his number two. It's not going to be Sam Howell. It's going to be Carson Wentz. And I, I keep saying it. I say it every, every episode at this point. So if you're tired of my redundancy, I do not care. <laughs> but heading into the bye week is a really good opportunity for, for Washington to make a quarterback change. Don't you agree? 
So what does that mean for Taylor, right? You can't afford to have a bad game going into the bye week. And I remember in a conversation, not me, but a conversation that Taylor had with Kime, John Kime or J.P. Finley. I can't remember which one. But they were in the locker room. And don't quote me because I don't remember where I heard it, but it was either one of the, it was definitely either Kime, John Kime, or J.P. Finley, one of those two. And that man Heineke told him, Man, I have to play better. I cannot play better. I mean, excuse me. I cannot afford to play poor. <laughs> I have to play better. Look, man, he's one of the worst QBs in terms of, like, statistics, like QB IQ or decision-making. I think that's pro football focus. He's literally second to last in QB IQ and decision-making. Quarterback IQ is a percentile that measures – uh, that factors in decision-making, aggressiveness, and tight accuracy throws. Or accuracy and tight windows, excuse me. I messed that up. That's QBIQ. Decision-making is a, a score that measures the Q, QB's ability, decision-making ability, times yards model, right? Completion probability, air yards, and expected yak. You ask me to say that again, you better Google it. Because I confuse myself. But his numbers ain't good. <laughs> Respectfully, I'm just I'm 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 serious, but I don't want you all to like un like think this is like do or die type of thing. But I'm just letting you know, like, he's not playing that good on the field. Like, the window, I, I shared this clip on Twitter, man, and this window of opportunity that he had against uh, the Falcons early on in the first half where they settled a drive for a field goal. Um, he had a throw to John Bates that he was late on, man, and John Bates was running, like, this same route, like, this bender type of route where he's widening the defender by attacking that inside hip of the defender that's the, the defensive back that's closer towards the, the sideline, and then he's bringing it back in towards... Uh, the 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 right hash, but in the end zone. So I hope you're following me. But the route that John Bates runs clears up that lane that he intends on running to because he widened out the defensive back. The other safety or the safety on the other side of the field is too far away at that that one particular time that he's supposed to throw it. Right. And. He just he's just late on the throat. He's just very late on the throat. Ultimately, being been he ends up sailing it over the linebacker, and John Bates has to wait as the ball is hanging in the air for him to jump down and make a play. So what am I saying, man? I just think that Heineke clearly has to play better. This is a game where for Washington that's going into a bye week is going to be pretty big for Taylor, and I think that is the the window that he cannot afford to lose the coaches in. With Carson back or with the bye week looming, you cannot afford to be in a situation where you have the coaches considering moving on to Carson. Because it's not a it's not an illogical decision or conversation to have from a coaching perspective or a fan perspective. But I do like the way that Washington is playing offensively from a standpoint of trying to establish a ground game and maintaining a ground game throughout the throughout the day and the way they address or attack rush uh rush defenses 
are, are pretty uh, incredible to see with the unbalanced offensive lines, right? Um, word is Sam Cosme may be moving to guard this week um, as he's returning, and, and Trey Turner's not looking too good health-wise. And, and all of these things are going to be good for Washington, but, but the way they're addressing the run game and, and dressing it up and window packaging this because they're not running anything too complex, but they're giving defenses so many different looks uh, from pre-snap motion uh, to, to misdirection after the snap and simply running in, inside, inside runs and, and, and trying to make a living off that. I like what Brian Robinson is doing uh, on that side of the football as well and his development, man. He, like last week against... Houston Texans, you saw a little bit of what Brian Robinson can do. And then the very next game, uh, you get a 100-yard day for Brian Robinson. Like, that man is feeling himself in a good way, and that's that's good for Washington. But that offensive line is starting to have some co- cohesion as they stack games on top of games with one another. And I think all of that is important. So I like what they're doing with the run game, man. Um, I'm I'm still a little disappointed as as some I had some time to think on this as the days went by, uh, but I'm still a little disappointed that Jahan Dotson isn't really seeing uh, the field that much. I'm also a little disappointed that Jahan Dotson isn't getting that many uh, touches or targets at all. It's not seeing the field that much because the run game has incorporated Deami Brown to some extent. He's had 14 uh, he had 14 uh, uh, snaps against the Falcons. Ten of those were runs. So that eliminates 10 possible snaps for Jahan Dotson. And De'Ami Brown isn't playing too bad in the run game either. I think they like him. And, and I'm starting to see why. Like he's physical at the point of attack, man. He's not technically sound, but he's going to get his nose in there. And I think that's all they can ask for, a guy with technique. I'm, excuse me. Let me be clear. A guy that's willing to block and has the competitiveness to block. They can work on technique down the line. But as long as you get your nose in there, Brown, you can hold off that second-level defender for at least two seconds or maybe a second and a half. That's all that's going to be needed from the running back. Um, but, yeah, I like what they're doing. Uh, the Giants do have some dogs up front. Obviously, we know about uh, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence and uh, Kayvon Tebedo is, is on the way. Um, so there's going to be some challenges up front uh, and a good opportunity to or, or a good matchup just from an offensive line, defensive line standpoint. Um, and I think, ultimately, offensively, it's going to come down to turnovers. You cannot afford to have any turnovers and allow this Giants offense to have several additional possessions on their side of the ball because when you have an elite playmaker in, in Saquon Barkley on the field uh, uh, from additional possessions, it's only a matter of time till he, he does break loose. So I think that's kind of the situation that Washington is looking at on that side of the ball. If you're going to run it, you got to execute, you got to establish the ground game right, but you also got to keep the ball on the field for your offense. Um, hope you all have been able to listen to me to this point. Um, clearly I had a lot to say, right? I thought I was doing this for like 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope you all ain't been able to join, man, but we will be back post game. Me and Damian, man, chopping it up about, uh, the commanders, hopefully moving on to eight and five, man. And talking about this turnaround throughout the, throughout that bye week. As it's, it's been a good sight. So I do have Washington winning. Um, I like the way that they're playing. I trust this team. I, I think that Washington ultimately wins. Uh, if I have to give a prediction again, like what I say last week, 
Why would anybody predict this team to score more than 20 points when they have not done it? They've done it, what, three times this year? Jacksonville, Detroit, Green Bay, and Philly four times? If you try to count Houston, I'm not giving you that. They had a pick six. I ain't giving you that. <laughs> nah, we ain't doing that, man. They did it four times. So what am I saying? I'm going to say that Washington wins. And I'm going to say Washington wins 20 to 17. Another close game for Washington as they head into the bye week, man. But at the end of the day, they are 85. Uh, looking forward. Um, and looking ahead uh, to another matchup against the New York Giants out of that five week, man. So, uh, with that being said, y'all take care. Y'all enjoy y'all weekend. Y'all stay safe. Wish the boys at Flowers, man. How about them Jaguars? Shawty, wish them some luck for me. Um, our first ever championship game uh, for the state title, for a state title in Maryland. So, uh, y'all take care. Enjoy y'all weekend. Stay safe. We'll be back Sunday evening breaking down uh, the, the matchup. Uh, between the Giants and the White Giants.